everybody. Welcome to the Sally Allen podcast. And today we're recording from a new studio. I'm loving it. At Sticky Paw, still at Sticky Paw, my favorite people. And um, as you all know, or you know, this podcast is a platform where people come and share their stories of resilience. And I am so honored that they open up to me and they are vulnerable and they share. And I don't take that for granted. And today we have Dean Smith on the show. Dean was introduced to me by my dear friend, Kim Allen. Uh, thank you, Kim. And Dean is a mindset coach. He has two kids, Ava and Max, and his sweet wife, Molly, of 20 years. <laughs> Welcome, Dean. <laughs> Hello, Sally. It's so fun to be here. I'm on the Sally Allen Show. Yes. <laughs> yeah, this was a long time in the making. I can't... I, don't know how many back and forths we went to get this, but I'm so happy to have you on the show. Dean, I know you have a very powerful story. And um, when we talked about it, you're like, you don't want me to give away any parts of it. So I'm going to turn the mic over to you and have you share with us. Awesome. Thank you, Sally. Well, you know, there's certain days that change your life. And that day for me was the day that I met a man by the name of Rex Bell. Um, I met Rex when I was um, in sixth grade on February 11th. Um, I got called out of my music class and I get to the principal's office where I was called to. And I was totally used to get going to the principal's office, by the way. So it seemed like any other day. But when I got there, it was empty and I, I took a seat and I was wondering what, what's going on. And all of a sudden a man walks in who I'd never seen before. And he looks very serious and he has a soft spoken voice. And he said, Dean, my name is Pastor Rex Bell. I don't know how to tell you this, son, but I'm going to need you to go to the hospital with me right now. Something's happened to your mom. And even as I say that, I always wonder in that moment right there if, um, if I'm not going to get that pit in my stomach. Mm -hmm. The reason I got a pit in my stomach, especially on that day, February 11th of my sixth grade year, was because my mom was my everything. Yeah, up until this point in my life, my mom uh, had been married four times and there was actually boyfriends in between the husbands. So for me, life was always changing. We'd moved over 20 times at this point. I'm 12 years old, getting used to new father figures, getting used to new schools, trying to fit in and always not fitting in and then moving again. And with everything always changing, the one thing that remained the same was my mom. My mom was my everything. And so Pastor Rex brought my sisters and me to the Harborview Medical Center, downtown Seattle. And I remember walking into the emergency room and hearing the sounds of the machine, the and the what had happened was earlier that morning when my sisters and I were at school, my fourth stepdad. He'd been my stepdad for about two years. His name was Bob. And Bob and my mom got into this horrific argument. And in a fit of rage, Bob walks down the hall, goes into my room, opens my closet and grabs the Christmas present that I had just gotten a couple months earlier, which was a baseball bat. And so long story short, on February 11th, while my classmates were just getting out of second recess um i watched my mom take her last breath of life oh my gosh um you know that 
certain days you can remember every little detail also. And I remember it was about a half hour after my mom was pronounced dead. And I'm in a Harborview Medical Center cafeteria. I'm eating an egg salad sandwich. There's tears running down my cheeks. Mm-hmm. Pastor Rex is sitting across from me. He doesn't know what to say. And I remember that was the day that I became aware that I had this voice in my head, like that inner monologue, that small voice. And it was like I made this this promise to myself. I'm going to grow up big. I'm going to grow up strong. And I know that Bob is going to go to prison for killing my mom, but someday he's probably going to get out. And when he does, I vowed that I was going to be there waiting for him, either to kill him or at least beat him within an inch of his life. Mm-hmm. But revenge was going to be mine. And I thought, I'm going to hang on to all this anger. I'm going to hang on to this bitterness, and I'm going to use it as motivation. Wow. Now, one of the hardest days of my life, right, that changed everything was also a day that one of the greatest miracles came into my life. And that is, and this makes me emotional every time. I'm so grateful, actually, that that pastor that came and picked me up that day asked me to be his son. So I went from being this like wild and crazy kid mm-hmm. to all of a sudden this wild and crazy pastor's kid, just like that. And my life totally changed. And my fifth and final dad, Pastor Rex, who I call dad from here on out, mm-hmm. from that point forward, um, became my hero. And he was like the dad that you wished you could have. And he listened to me and he taught me about God and he, he mentored me. And he had this question, Sally, that he would always ask me. And it's just, I've, I've never met anybody else who had a dad who asked this question. Mm-hmm. But you know how parents have uh, like mantras, you know, and like, oh, my dad always used to say, well, my dad used to get that look on his face during our discussion. Uh-huh. Let's see. Son, how's it going with your forgiveness? How's it going with forgiving Bob? Mm, that's a tough one. Yeah, right. And I'd look at him and, be, oh, it's going really great, dad. Thank you so much for asking. Thank you. Yeah. And he would, he would say, stop goofing around. I mean it. Right. How is your forgiveness going? He said, Dad, I don't know. You know, it's going great. And then he would hit me with the mantra. And it's like, once I say this, Sally, you can never unlearn it. So get ready for what I considered for years the most tormenting words ever. Uh-huh. My dad would say, son, you'll never live in the fullness of your God-given potential. Mm. until you make forgiveness a priority. He told me that I would never live in the fullness of my God-given potential until I made forgiveness a priority. And on the outside, Sally, I'd be like, uh-huh, okay, Dad, I got it. But on the inside, I was like, are you kidding me? Are you serious? You think that I could ever forgive this guy? A, he doesn't deserve it, but even if I could, why would I do it? He doesn't, and like, and I, I had all these reasons, but what I didn't know for so many years later is that this type of forgiveness that my dad was telling me about wasn't a type of forgiveness where I was going to be doing something for Bob. The type of forgiveness that my dad was talking about, the type of forgiveness that was going to be doing something for me. And mm-hmm. my dad, my fifth and final dad loved me. And he cared for me. And he wanted to see me unbound. He wanted to see me unshackled. He wanted to see me free. But I didn't know that yet. And so I was like, forgiveness for schmizness. And I had coping mechanisms. Just stay busy. Just stay funny. If you don't talk about it, you're doing fine. And that worked for me. I thought, I don't need no stinking forgiveness until I got into college. And all of a sudden, my dad wasn't uh, praying with me and meeting me every day. And I was blessed to play college basketball. And all of a sudden, I needed something a little stronger 
to deal with that inner turmoil. And my coping, coping mechanisms for that turmoil got greater and greater. I got really into drugs and alcohol. Mm, Dean, let's stop there for a minute. Wow, wow. That's a lot. I want to go back to as a child, 12 yeah. years old, you're adopted by this pastor, Pastor Rex, who took care of you. How did you cope? I know, obviously, he's a pastor and he helped you through it. But as someone 12 years old, that little, like, how did you cope with it from then until you got to college? What are some of your coping mechanisms and what got you through it? I know you're holding on to the unforgiveness and the revenge, and sometimes that propels you forward. But what are some other ways? What are some other things you did to cope with that? Yeah, it's so interesting how we all have different coping mechanisms. And, and I'll tell you what mine was, but it's so now that you get older and a little, you learn a few things along the way, you realize sometimes it's people's gifts that can be used for good that they can also use as a coping mechanism. And for me, it was humor. Mm. You know, I was the cla voted class clown senior year. Not voted most likely to succeed, but class clown. And I just thought, if you just keep it funny, <laughs> just joke around at all times. You didn't have to deal with the real issues of the heart. That was my major one. And then the other one was just staying busy. Mm. And, you know, counselors and adults would try to talk to me about what happened and to try to help me heal. But I was always quick to say, shh, nope, not talking about it. Done. And so that was how I coped. Oh, so you never confronted what you were going through? Until, uh, well, the story continues. Now you're in college. Yeah, you know, the drugs and the alcohol. I got married at the age of 20, which is really smart. <laughs> and, you know, this woman thought she married a good pastor's kid. And she learned very quickly that I had issues. And, and I always wanted to be somewhere else doing something else. And after two years, she left me. And gosh, that's so weird to say, you know, that was at 22, I was <laughs> married and divorced already. And, wow. you know, sometimes they say you have to get to the bottom before you look up. And for me, it was like, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was in my mid twenties. I barely graduated from college and my dad's tormenting words came back to me. I'd never live in the fullness of my God given potential until I made forgiveness a priority. And, you know, I started this process and, you know, it was like a, like, a declaration slash prayer slash a little bit of cussing. And I just made this decision. I didn't know how I was going to forgive, but I knew that I was going to choose to forgive at all costs, regardless of what that journey would look like. And slowly but surely, um, I'm so grateful to say that, you know, and for me, it was such a spiritual journey plus a personal development journey. So I give God a lot of, of course, all the credit on the spiritual development side. And I was able to get to this place where, you know, down the road, I was praying and I was thinking, I realized I don't have any more anger towards Bob. Holy Moses. And I used to think of his face and it would set me off for three days straight. Mm. And what I never imagined, Sally, you know, getting to this place of forgiveness, I thought that's the end game. I, I'm free. Oh, I'm unshackled. Mm -hmm. But what I never imagined was in the absence of bitterness, and in the absence of unforgiveness and in the absence of resentment, mm -hmm. I would have greater capacity, more room now for more love, for more joy, for more peace, mm -hmm. for more empathy, for more, all these things that I never, I thought I had, but all of a sudden when I wasn't hanging on to the, mm -hmm. and what was interesting is in my process of forgiveness, my hate went to neutral and then it kept going. Mm -hmm. And I started to have compassion for Bob. Bob got out of prison. In 1999. 
So before you share about Bob, I want to, I don't want to glaze over because it's so important. You forgive Bob. And I don't want to glaze over that. Like how, what was your process? I, I heard you mention process, my process of forgiveness. You know, I didn't stop there, but what was that process? Like, I know your dad's words were in your head, but walk us through someone who's listening to this and, and they have unforgiveness in their heart. Like, what would you say to them um, that would help them to start that process of forgiveness? There's two things that I said that day, specifically, that I look back and go, oh, those were, I didn't know what I was doing, but oh, those two things were good. Yeah. And, you know, the one thing I've learned, Sally, is not to get all the way specific because someone might get lost and go, oh, well, that doesn't resonate for me the way he forgave. And right. at one point I did research on forgiveness. Like, is there other ways to forgive other than the way I did? And I, I printed this stack of research papers that there's all these different uh, blueprints for forgiveness. But mine, right. it started with making a choice and voicing that choice you know our brains are most powerfully impacted by the words we speak mm. and the pictures we make in our mind i'm like i choose to forgive bob i choose to forgive him mm -hmm. and then the second part was but i need help and i on that first day i made that decision i asked god for help i asked my dad for help i asked mentors for help because you know if you think about the how many people in your life are are true forgivers and you know you have a, a limited number and there's a reason for that it's hard to do it alone but when you bring in somebody to encourage you and hold you accountable um it's very very helpful and so that in a nutshell was it i got help from people who knew what they were doing which was my dad who was a pastor and mm -hmm. so it's a spiritual journey of you know, confessing and repenting and, you, you know, using scriptures. But then it was also a personal development of taking actions that that I see people now taking actions for other breakthroughs in their life. So mm -hmm. does that help a little bit. Oh, that's that's really powerful, because what I'm hearing you say is that self-talk is so important in what you say. And I, I always believe um, as you're talking, I have this image in my head, right? Um, you're driving a car down the road. And if you keep looking left, the car will go left. It will continue to go left. And if you look right, the car will go right. As you stare in the middle, it go in the middle. It's the same thing with if you change your thought process and what you say and what you keep saying to yourself, your heart will eventually follow. Right? You got to start, though, what, what you say to yourself. I forgive him. I forgive him. I forgive him. And eventually your heart and your mind start to change. Yes, I do forgive him. I love that. Where your focus goes, your energy your flows. Your energy flows. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And and then the, the second part is the accountability part. It's yes. making sure you have accountability and surround yourself with people like your dad who keeps asking you, how are you going on that forgiveness? You know, how is that going? Um, I think that's important too, because when you have people know what you're going through, only then they can come alongside you and help you. Exactly. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing that process. Yeah. Yeah. And so no more unforgiveness, bitterness, and resentment. I right. had a greater capacity. I was mentioning that Bob got out of prison in 1999. And mm -hmm. um, I, I felt like there was a message I had for him, which is so interesting to say. And in 2006, I was able to track him down. Um, and I called him on the phone. He was living in Tennessee. I'm up here in the Northwest, Seattle, Washington. And 
I called him on the phone and I told him I forgave him completely for what he did. And um, by the way, when he got out of prison, the prison in Washington state, he moved to the East Coast because he heard that his former stepson wanted to kill him. So he knew. And he, mm-hmm. when he heard my voice on the phone that day, he thought, oh, no, he found me. My life is over. Mm. But I told him I forgave him and I told him that I believed that he had unforgiveness towards himself that he hasn't surrendered yet. And I told him that I believe God had a plan for his life. And if he would let me, I'd love to help him forgive himself so that he can step into his God given potential. Oh my gosh, what a way to pay it forward. What a way to pay that forward. So question, did you, while he was in prison, did you go to visit him in prison or did you try to contact him? And how long was he in prison? He was in prison in prison for 11 years. I never went to see him. He wrote to me two times. Mm-hmm. And based on my response, my dad wrote him back and said, I wouldn't contact Dean anymore. I don't mm. think it's going to be good for you. And so my dad was kind of protecting me because he could see that I was the gentle giant who was had a little volcano coming up you know and so yeah yeah so what was his reaction when you called him and offered to help and forgive he's can you imagine just like uh-huh. how crazy that was like what oh yeah it took several conversations for him to he told me later it took several conversations for him to really believe <laughs> that this was happening and i became like a coach for him and what was interesting is we were talking uh like every few weeks for about like a year, I was talking to him more than some of my friends. And then in a year, he stopped calling me back. And then I call him and I'd leave him a funny message on his voicemail. This is Dean the Dream and you know that it's true. You better call me back now if you know it's good for you. And he he would would not call me back month after month. And I was like, almost had to forgive him again. Like, you know, my pride and self-righteousness, like after all I've done for you, you're not calling me back yeah yeah after six months he called me or i got a call from a woman from tennessee i I was like oh this must be him and Uh it was a woman and she said dean i'm gonna ask you to pray for bob Mm -hmm. because he's just attempted suicide oh my gosh and it was at this time you know she asked me to pray for him and i get off the phone and i start to pray and it was one of those things where i had an answer of what i was supposed to do before i even began to pray and it was Mm -hmm. to go to go be with Bob and help him. He survived his suicide attempt. And I was blessed to make a long story short of bringing a, my best friend's cousin was a filmmaker. Uh-huh. And um, I was able to bring a camera crew, which is really weird thing to say. And Bob agreed to it because he said, hey, if something could come good of our reconciliation, that would be great. And I brought a camera crew to Tennessee and spent four days with the man that murdered my mom. And, you know, that footage, after we came back, some investors saw it, some movie makers got, got a hold of it. And they said, let's make this into a full story. So they started recording the different, uh, we started interviewing the different people from my family. And it was turned into an award-winning documentary entitled Live to Forgive, which mm-hmm. I'm so grateful to say. And it's been a blessing to a lot of people. But I want to tell you, so I want to end with this one last scene from my life. It's a scene in the movie. But if you don't get to see Live to Forgive, it's important for you to hear about what I call my moment of truth. Yeah. Is that okay? Yes, yes, please. So it's me in Tennessee. It's on the final day. We've had these all these surreal conversations. 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here, I'm looking this guy in the eye. He murdered my mom. And yet in the absence of bitterness, unforgiveness and resentment, I had something else. I was able to have an affinity for him. And so on the final day, we're in my hotel room. And for some reason, I had nothing more to really say to him. But the camera guy just decided he would just put the camera on anyway. And that was a good decision. As we're talking, talking like about McDonald's coffee or something. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Bob begins to say something that he later told me was on his heart for over 20 years in prison and after prison. He and he realized he wanted to tell me this thing. So out of the blue, Sally, he says, Dean, the incident with your mom happened on a Tuesday. But I want to take you back to the Friday before. And over the next 10 minutes, he begins to tell me all the details leading up to that day. The issue with us kids getting an, us acting out, my older sisters and me, the money issues, my mom going dancing late night. And was there another man? And who was calling the house and hanging up? And the drugs and the alcohol and the painkillers and my and Bob's bad back and all these compounding issues of Sunday. And he gets to Monday. And then he gets to Tuesday. Oh my gosh. And then imagine this. I'm sitting three feet away from looking directly in the eyes, the man who brutally murdered my mom. He begins to tell me every detail about that day. Oh my including gosh. how many times he hit her and what her last words were. And, you know, my heart is beating 100 miles an hour. And I hated what he was telling me, you know, like I hated it. I was like, oh, sad. And I miss my mom. And there was nothing good about it. But I remember being in that moment. And although I hated the details of my mom being murdered, it was this craziest feeling of having compassion for him. Wow. And I mean, even as I'm telling you that now, there's a part of me going, what? Over here, like, what? Me too. What? <laughs> but that is the power of forgiveness. And I helped him out yes. of his chair. And I told him I loved him. And um, and my life has never been the same. It was that day that I realized if I can, if I could hear him tell me those details and have peace in my heart, right. like I can overcome anything. And, you know, that led me to be able to, have the opportunity when the movie came out to to share my story and to help people with forgiveness you know all yeah. over the place and that led to me being becoming a certified coach nine years ago so I could help people with all those small voice challenges mm -hmm. in their heads you know that keeps them into procrastination or keeps them from going for their goals or keeps them feeling insecure and not living a life yeah. that is fulfilling and enjoyable and so I just would want to tell your viewers right now and your listeners that you can forgive anyone for mm -hmm. anything yeah um, so Dina, can I, I, share I, I do have can a I question before you try to close though you're trying to close us. yeah i, I didn't want to no, no, you, don't, close. Yeah, you're the <laughs> don't close us yet I'm i have closing a question so that you can talk <laughs> yeah um i have i have so many questions but i want to keep it short too do you think that you were able to sit there and listen to the details because you had done all of the work of forgiveness? That's one question. And two, uh, you hear everybody say forgiveness is ongoing. And for me, it's ongoing too, because I keep remembering the stuff that's done to me and I got to forgive over and over again. Is that the same with you? I love that second point so much, Sally. So there's people who see that footage of that scene where, where Bob's telling me the details of that 
leading up. And there's a couple points where he even um, makes kind of excuses, you know, where you're like, if you're watching, you're thinking, is he trying to justify mm-hmm. that he had the right? And and I heard all that in the moment. And so to answer your question, it's like, I don't think there'd be any way. And, you know, because most people, a lot of people watch that and go, oh, my gosh, that's crazy what you did. But I could never do that. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, you could do that if you had truly forgiven, but it couldn't be pseudo forgiveness mm-hmm. when you're in front of the man who murdered your mom. And so, yes, it was because the healing and the work had taken place. The second part is I always say that forgiveness is so very rarely a, ah, I let it go because of this mm-hmm. thing that I did in a moment. It's always an ongoing process. And people will ask me, well, Dean, like, what if, like, how do you know when you've forgiven? Like, what if something happens and it brings it up again and you get angry? And I say, you know, it's weird because I, last weekend, I pulled all the weeds in my front bark area. I pulled them all. But this weekend, they came back again. It's like, nope, you just keep plucking. And, and if you mm-hmm. consider that I'm writing a book right now, Sally, called The Forgiveness Habit. Mm-hmm. When you decide to make forgiveness a lifestyle, it's like saying that you're living a life of unshackling from any of those negative emotions that could keep you bound in the past. Mm. So it's a process to your point. It's a, it's a life, it's a life choice that you're, you know, I've already made up my mind that I'm going to forgive everyone for everything. And people say, well, what if somebody did something to your children or what if someone did something to your wife? And I'd say, Oh, I would want them. It doesn't mean I don't want them to have consequences, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I would still choose to forgive because I know when I forgive, it's the very best thing for me. Right. And so, yeah. Dean, I love that. Congratulations on your book, number one. And number two, I've never heard this and I love it. Forgiveness is a lifestyle. I just love that. Like, you know, you say eating habits, you make it a lifestyle and you make this a lifestyle. We never talk about things like forgiveness. And and I love that. And I can't, I'm glad my I, I wasn't on the screen so many times because my mouth was just hanging open. <laughs> Like, oh my gosh, you are an amazing, amazing human being. Amazing human being. So now, what what's your closeout? What, what's a takeaway for our audience? The takeaway is this. Mm-hmm. If my story sounds crazy, which it's kind of crazy. One thing is don't justify the, the, the I, I call those people the, the burden of bitterness. It's an acronym. Whoever you have a burden of bitterness for, which is the acronym Bob, that's how I got Bob's name. It's not his real name. Yeah. We all have the Bobs in our life, those people mm-hmm. that we can't forgive. And sometimes we are our own Bobs. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I would tell your people listening and watching right now is identify those Bobs and make a choice. Your journey may look a lot different than my journey, and that's fine, but make a choice that you are going to live in the fullness of your potential. And you're going to make forgiveness a lifestyle. You're going to make it a habit. Mm-hmm. You might not get it right away, but you're going to start pulling those weeds so that you can be unshackled and be able to live a life in your potential and make that choice and ask for help, help from somebody you trust, who you know has done some forgiveness themselves. Mm-hmm. Um and that's what I would say. You can do it. It's not easy or everyone would be forgiven. Right, right. It's possible. And it's the it's the best, man. It's the best. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, Dean. Well, friends, you know, I, I always like to close with, uh, it's never too late to start living resiliently. 
And today, something that Dean said that resonated with me, what his father told him, you will never live in the, your fullness, your, your fullness God-given potential unless you make forgiveness a priority. And I truly, truly believe that. Dean, you are such an inspiration and I'm amazed at the work that you do and I'm so inspired by it. Thank you so much for being on our show. Love having you here. Um, friends, if you're listening, right? Rate, review, and share with your friends. Thank you, Dean. Thank you, Sticky Paw Studio. And thank you to George, who is behind the control panels. Yeah. yeah. Lots of controls back here. Yes, yes. I thank do have you. the control to toss up your logo now. Would you like me to do that? Woohoo! Yes, All right. yes. <laughs> See you later, guys. Okay, right thanks. Now. All right, bye. <laughs> awesome.